Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis on how successful Satan was in being able to deceive Eve. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. That's what Satan wanted, and that's what caused the whole fall, right? He wanted to ascend, that was the big word with him, ascend above the throne of God. Why do we need God? We need God to tell us what's right and wrong. We need God to tell us that's good, that's bad, and that's dependence on God. That's a good thing. You know that God wants to give to every person a love of the truth? And you know the truth is a person who said, I am the truth? And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truth. Now here's Tom Cantor as we finish our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis series. So now her focus in verse 6 is off of God, and she's looking at the object that, that God has said is forbidden, and Satan has been very successful at focusing her gaze, and she's looking there, and you can see this venom of unbelief already working. You know, thou shalt not surely die in her, and she's resonating in her ears, and it's driving out her thoughts about God, is driving out her fear of God, and she's just becoming kind of enchanted. But there's three enchantments here with that she's really being taken up that's overpowering her. There's three enchantments. Look at them in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all... That is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, it is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. First enchantment she falls under is called, in Genesis 3, seeing the tree as good for food. Looks pretty good for food. Looks like it would taste good. Good. What's that one? Lust of the flesh. 1 John 2, 17, lust of the flesh, that would taste good and feel good if I ate that. I'm sure of it. Second enchantment, she falls under, pleasant to the eyes. I don't know what it looked like, but anyways, it must have been pleasant to the eyes. That's what she said. Pleasant to the eyes. What's that? Lust of the eyes. 1 John 2, 17. Third enchantment, she falls under, to make one wise. Pride of life, right? Pride of life. A tree to be desired, she called it. A tree to be desired. What is that? A tree to be lusted for. That's lust. A tree to be desired. That's lust. The fires of lust, they're burning inside of her now. And lust, when it was described in James 1.14, it says, Every man is tempted when he has drawn away of his own lust and enticed or enchanted. Well... Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. First enchantment, or enticement, then lust, then the act of sin, then death. That's why it's important for us, as the Bible says, die to self, because that means dying to lust. So now notice how it says in verse 3, 6, then she saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes. That's what it says, Job 3, 31, 7. Mine eye 
walked after my heart. Sorry, mine heart walked after mine eyes. That's what Job said. My heart walked after mine eyes. That's why Job said, "I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look on a maid?" Says my heart follows my eyes. That's what he says. Okay, now the actual fall, Genesis three six. She took of the fruit thereof and did, did eat. Those words were the act of sin. It was almost as if like when she did that, there was a camera sitting there in the Garden of Eden. And for that instant, the serpent backs away saying, I didn't do it. And she reaches up there and there's the Kodak moment right there. She took the fruit and she ate it. Eight words, about a tenth of a verse. And oh, the trouble that came from that the hereditary load of sin that started at that point. That was Eve's decision. That was totally Eve's decision. She was alone in it. She had no one to blame but herself. And then in verse 6, it goes on to say, and she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. That's characteristic of sin. It defiles others. Why did Adam eat this fruit? We don't know. Maybe she persuaded him. Maybe, no, no, no. Maybe he felt sorry for her. But then the four small words... He did eat. She gave him, and he did eat. Again, Adam's decision, Adam's alone. From those four words comes Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then it says in verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened. Oh, new revelation. And they knew that they were naked. Oh, new knowledge. Their nakedness. Now all of a sudden, they have a new orientation. And it's not, oh, when time's God going to come? I can't wait till he comes to the end of the day, the cool of the day. Got so much to talk about God about. Now, it's not God at all that's in their sight. It's themselves. So they become introspective. They, they say they're, they're looking at themselves, looking at them, each other. And, and, and they're all concerned and occupied with themselves. How do you feel? What did you think about? Maybe there's some significance in what you thought about. You should write down what you thought about, and we should study it for a long time, <laughs> along with the other things. This is introspection. I mean, you're laughing, but this is... Do you know how many people are trapped in this? Very, very trapped in this. I had a dream. What does this dream mean? I don't know. Write it down. It's got to be valuable. And so this is the new orientation. It's not God. It's themselves. And what do they do? They make themselves aprons. This is, this is, this is man's religion. They make themselves aprons. That's what it says. And made themselves aprons. They made themselves the aprons. That's the definition of religions. Religions is man trying to fix man for God. The truth is, God will fix man. The the man is out there, there he is, making those aprons, and God is saying, "Uh, Adam, I think you've done about enough right now. (laughs) Better let me take over now. See? That's why it says in in, uh, Isaiah 53.10, make his soul, the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ, your offering for sin. Make his soul, don't make your aprons your offering for sin. Make his soul your offering for sin. And then what happened? Then they went and hid themselves from the presence of God. That's very sad. 
They hid themselves from the presence of God. Isaiah 59, 1. Your sins have separated between you and your God. It's your sins that have caused a separation between you and your God. And then they hide themselves in the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. That's just stupid. I mean, he, he made the trees. So somehow they think that they, could, I, they can hide from God. He can't see me now. But that's what sin does. It makes people stupid. That's, that's a sad state here. That's a sad situation. Well, that's very bad news to end in. Sorry, that just happens to be where we ended up today. But next week, better news is coming. So don't go out and kill yourself this week. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for re- taking the trouble to record all this for us so that we can, Lord, not be entertained by it, but learn from it and come to, to help others, Lord, who are taken captive against their own will by the devil and also to keep us from falling too. Lord, help us as we read these things to retain them, Lord, to in, within us and to see them be used by us. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, in our study this week in the Genesis, we saw how successful Satan was with Eve in being able to deceive her. Now, that's not a comforting thought. What is the key to not being deceived like Eve? You know, this is one of the most important questions for our day because the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that the sign of his coming when the time would be getting near would be a mass worldwide deception that would even threaten the church. And he made that very clear in Matthew 24 when he was asked, what will be the sign of your coming? And he responded by saying, beware lest ye be deceived. Now, that was the answer. So when we see Satan going at, doing his work with Eve and being so successful to deceive her, we need to really ask the question, what, how, what, is, what is the key or how do we keep ourselves from being deceived? God has given us a great verse that describes the working of Satan. It's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. So this is a very, very important description because what, the, what this verse is going to now give us is the working of Satan. We need to know what is the working of Satan. Why do we need to know that? Because Satan is our adversary. Satan is our enemy. He's certainly studying everything about us and seeing how he can trip us up, how he can deceive us, how he can kill us, how he can destroy us. He is studying us. A good military tactician studies his enemy carefully. And so should we. And so should we. The last thing we should ever believe about Satan is that he's some comical uh, character with a red suit on and a long tail and a pitchfork. Don't let for one minute the devil deceive into thinking that's all we got to worry about. We need to study our enemy. So this says the working of Satan. So what does it say about the working of Satan? It says the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The first thing we are told about the working of Satan is that we have a powerful adversary. He's very powerful. That's why we run to God for help. That's why we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, and we said, oh God, help me. I'm a child. I'm like a little one. 
and I need you, my great father, to fight for me, Lord. So the greatest thing that we have to realize about Satan is that we are no match for him. It describes him as with all power. Then it says with signs and lying wonders. And so here right away we are warned, be very careful about signs. Be very careful about wonders. Some of these wonders are lying wonders, and they are in the toolbox of Satan. When Satan opens up his toolbox and says, I'm now going to work my work of deception, he pulls out this sign and he pulls out this lying wonder. Just like the Egyptian magicians during Moses' day, they had their signs, they had their lying wonders. And so we be very, very careful. Oh, look, this person was healed. Oh, look, this great sign. Oh, look, these numbers add up to this. Those are signs, lying wonders. And those are all in Satan's toolbox. And then it says in verse 10, and with all deceivableness. You know, that's a really interesting word. We don't use that word today. But what does it mean? It means the ability to deceive. In other words, it's saying here that Satan's main uh, ability here is in deception. He has the ability to deceive. He has deceivableness. And then it says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. In other words, the direction of his signs, the direction of his lying wonders, the direction of his deception is toward unrighteousness, an unclean life, a dirty life, a life that's that is soiled and stained with sexual immorality, a life that's soiled and stained with with taking money uh, uh, wrongly. This is all unrighteousness, and that's what he does. And it says here, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish. So in other words, he is having a heyday in them that perish. Satan is really making great strides in them that perish. And then it describes these ones who are described as them that perish. It says the reason why, and oh, thank you, God. And this verse is so wonderful because of the word because. We don't just stop there and we would walk away saying, oh my, I don't have a chance. But God is very, very instructive to us with this verse because he has the word because. So why are they them that perish? It's because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't receive the love of the truth. What does that mean? They didn't receive the love of the truth. The truth is personalized. The truth is not neutral. The truth is not a body of information. The truth is a person. And the person's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said in uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's some of his names. His name is the life. His name is the way. His name is the truth. He is the truth. When Pilate stood before him and he was all beaten, the Lord Jesus Christ, and standing before him, and the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, I came to testify to, uh, of the truth. And Pilate says, ah, what is truth? Pilate didn't realize that's a wrong question. What is truth? The right question is, who is truth? And the answer was the person standing in front of him that time, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the who is truth. 
So when this says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, really it's meaning because they would not receive the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truth. In other words, when we turn to him in love, when we say, Lord Jesus, I love you with all of my heart, I obey the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. I obey that by saying, it's you, Lord Jesus, that I love with all my heart and soul and mind. When we do that, then we receive the love of the one who is the truth. And when we do that, then we open up our heart to him. And then he says, now, I will give you myself as I give you the truth. I will give you myself as I speak the words of God to you. It says the, that what he speaks to us, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are truth. And they are life. And so as he speaks the words to us, he's revealing himself to us. And that's, and we say more, more about Jesus. When we read the word of God and we learn more truth and we understand this is the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, give me more truth. Give me more of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. More about Jesus would I know. And so when we do that, and when anybody does that, receives the love of the truth, he is insulated and guarded and kept from the deception of the devil. The signs and the lying wonders have no resonance with that person. They are, they fall, those arrows fall harmlessly in front of the believer. Why? Because he has received the love of the truth. He is saved. Saved from what? Saved from the deception that sends to hell. What's the deception that sends to hell? The deception that sends to hell says there is no hell. Says that It says that eat, drink, be merry, and when it's all over with, we just dissolve into nothing. That's a deception that leads to hell. There is a sign in lying wonder. I had a dream. I had a sign. I had a wonder. Everything's going to be all right. I don't need anything. I don't need Jesus Christ. Everything's going to be all right because of this sign, because of this, this, because I saw some light in my dream and so forth and so on like that. Lying wonders and signs that deceive. And all the while they're deceiving as they're pushing soul after soul into hell. And every soul that falls into hell is shocked and saying, I didn't know. Of course you didn't know because deception doesn't let you know. But what happened? It was all the power and the signs and the lying wonders that worked to push these people into hell. And why can't they, why did it happen that way? Because they didn't receive the love of the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ came as God. The commandment comes to each one of us, love him. He's God. Love him with all your heart, soul, your mind. Then you'll be saved. Then you'll be kept from the deception. So what is the key? The question to not being deceived to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to be saved from Satan's deception. Those are powerful thoughts on Satan and his deception. And continuing on that, today you also talked about how Satan got Eve to first focus on the tree. Now, our listeners, explain that to them, why this was an important strategy for Satan. It was very important strategy because, again, looking at our enemy and understanding as much as we can about him we understand that his strategy with Eve was to get her to look at the tree. Eve, look at the tree. Eve, think of the tree. Eve, focus on the tree. Eve, the tree. It's all about the tree, Eve. It's all about the tree. See, that was his whole focus. Get her to look at the tree. Get her to ask questions about the tree. Focus on the tree. 
When we understand that, and you know, that happens with us too. Oh, I tell you, if somebody gets me thinking about some claim jumper chocolate cake and starts describing the layers of the cho- the real chocolate in the ki- in it and 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 uh and the moistness of the cake and the the rich cocoa taste you know when i start thinking like that it's like i got to get a piece of that cake because i'm focused on it i'm fixated on it i can't get it out of my mind it's exactly what 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 satan was doing god knows this and so he has very specific instructions to block that. Don't let that happen. Proverbs 4:20 20 through 27 says like this, "My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto the, those that find them and health to all their flesh." Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are there issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You see what he's saying here? He's saying... He's saying to him, he says, my son, and this is a father speaking, and so you can almost hear the words, my son, I love you, my son. My son, attend to my words. Really put my words in front of your eyes. Incline your ears. Turn your ears to what I'm saying to you. And then he says, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in front of you. In other words, and then he says, "Look, let thine eyes look straight on. And he even talks about the eyelids. You know how it is when you kind of want to look to the right or the left. Hey, kind of squint a little bit in your eyes. He says, don't let that happen. He says, just keep your eyelids looking straight before you and keep your eyes looking right in front of you. And think about, he says, ponder the path of thy feet. Where are you heading? You know, we were always taught whenever I was uh, in Switzerland when we were uh, in ski school, in the school I went to, and uh, it was pretty rough. Every winter, we moved up to the uh, to to the to the uh, snow resort there, and and uh, and so in the morning we had classes, and in the afternoon we had uh, we we were we we did ski training. So that was a pretty rough high school. But anyway, during the time when we were skiing, when they would always say to us, "Look, it doesn't matter how fast you go down this slope. It doesn't matter what kind of a terrain you go over." He said, "Use your eyes." That's what the instructor always told. Us. He said, if you want to turn to the right, do not try to turn your skis to the right. Look to the right. And as you look to the right with an intentional look, your skis will follow. It doesn't matter how fast you're going down that. You want to turn left, look to the left and you'll follow. You want to turn right now, look to the right, you'll follow. Don't look down at your skis. Don't turn your skis. Just look and you will go where you look. That's a very important principle. That's what God is saying here too. You will go where you look. If you look in that direction, your feet will go that direction. And he's saying here, therefore, let thine eyelids look right on, because if you don't look there, then your path will go in that direction. If you don't believe it, he said, ponder the path of thy feet. Your eyes go first, then your feet follow. So do not look at this, at at these sinful things, and you will not be going in that direction. You know, that was what he meant when he was speaking, really, the 10, one of the 10 commandments here, Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy 5.21, he says, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife. He says, he's really saying to her, don't look at her with that longing look. Don't look at her with that imagination. Don't desire her. Don't look. You won't desire. You won't, des- you won't look. You won't desire. You won't go. He says, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house. Don't look at thy neighbor's house wanting your neighbor's house. Don't look at it. Don't desire it. Don't covet it. You won't go there. He says, nor his field or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his ass or anything that is thy neighbor's. It's the same old principle. Don't look. Don't look with that desire be careful. You know, it's just like we teach the little kids. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. We're the little eyes. And God is saying to us, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And that's why he's saying, don't look. We know if we were there, we would want to yell to Eve, 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 stop. Please, Eve, stop. Don't look, Eve. Don't look. Because when she looked, it was, the, it was his strategy. He knew he had her on the line. And that was the end. So be careful, little eyes. What you see is God's message that comes to us loud and clear. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? You can contact us directly by phone, and we can help you to do that by sending them a Tom Cantor DVD and testimony booklet or other resources and materials that we have. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051, and you can help reach the lost nation of Jewish people by giving them a gospel gift. Many of us know Jewish lawyers, doctors, businessmen, friends, co-workers, and neighbors that need to be reached, so call us today at 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.